Certification 101 podcast, a series of episodes where we talk about certification, what it is, who does it, and get into the details on certification best practices. Today on the show, we're going to talk about impartiality and how that impacts certification policies and procedures. Stay tuned. six episodes. This is great. I'm very happy with myself more than anything else, but hopefully you're enjoying the pod and we're going to keep it rolling today by talking about the exciting topics of liability financing and insurance. This is not going to be a very long episode, but it is a necessary one. Okay, so why are we talking about this? Well, certification is a risky business. You as a company are declaring that a certain person, process, or thing is meeting a certain standard. Now, there are all these ways for you to determine that, and hopefully the standards themselves lay out certain criteria. And that, in addition to the accreditation process, which we've been exploring over these few episodes, combine to make an effective process. But there is still risk involved. Not every company is above board, as I'm sure we all know. Any company could theoretically try to cheat or game the system, which is why regular verification is important. But constant verification would be cost prohibitive, as well as impractical cost prohibitive because you can't pay someone to watch every step of your process or test all your products. It's just way too much money. So in all these certifications, you sample. You take a selection and test those and then assume, because the creation process is the same, then other products are similar. It's impractical because sometimes the testing process for a product is destructive. So you can't test everything because then you'd have nothing left to sell. The same generally applies to people certification. You can test knowledge, but ultimately, you just have to hope that the person knows enough to be competent. So because of these inherent flaws, if you want to call them that, in the certification process, there is risk. Depending on what you certify, perhaps a lot of risk, and therefore liability. Wherever there's risk, there's liability. So insurance is necessary. Now, I'm not going to get into the details of what types of insurance or how much. That depends on your specific industry and should be discussed with an insurance broker. But it is necessary to have an abundance of insurance. $1 million US dollars per incident and $10 million umbrella is what I've seen, but it can vary widely. If you use contractors for any part of your process, they also must be insured on their own, through their own businesses or LLCs. $1 million general liability is normal in my areas per contractor, but again, that could vary widely. The point is get it and keep it current. So that generally takes care of insurance. Financing is perhaps a little bit more difficult to narrow down on what it means in the context of a certification body. So in general, what I mean by this is the certification body must be financially stable enough to survive losses of customers, employees, pandemics in the current environment, and other things. The reason this is more important than just a normal business is there are customers relying on these certifications to potentially meet their customer requirements. A CB just can't go out of business one day. That is potentially catastrophic to an industry. I'm not familiar with any CB operating fine one day and then just up and going under the next, although I'm sure it's probably happened somewhere. What is more likely to happen is they are bought out by another competitor in order for that competitor to gain market share. Even if a CB is losing money, they can sell their certifications to another CB. So because of the market dynamics, accreditation bodies want to see stable finances. 
I will say, honestly, this is one of the poorest areas that accreditation bodies generally audit for because it's so hard to make an assessment if a certain PNL is stable or not. Obviously, if a CV is hemorrhaging a million dollars a year, that's pretty obvious. But what if they are $25,000 in profit on an income of $2 million? Not great, probably, but is it enough to say the CB is financially stable? That's impossible to predict, really. So it's an accreditation requirement, but in my opinion, not a greatly audited one. Some may do it better than I've seen in the past in other areas, but overall, it's hard to audit. And I don't blame the assessors. It's just a difficult topic. And I think this becomes more difficult because most CBs are owned by a parent company who therefore likely puts profit pressures on the CB itself. We'll talk in a later episode about resource availability, but CBs have a hard time devoting the necessary administrative resources to the process. I think every CB is like this. There's no exceptions as far as I know. So because of that, the process usually gets squeezed, but it helps the financial stability question. So there's a balance between financial stability and what I would term process stability, or the ability of CBs to effectively conduct the certification processes in a timely manner. So in general, the point here on financing is there needs to be some positive cash flow and long-term viability for positive growth. Without that, there is concern. With that, most CBs will likely be fine. And that brings us to the end of this episode where we talked about liability, insurance, and financing. Thanks for listening to the Certification 101 podcast. I've been your host, Tom Spoda, and I'm looking forward to talking with you in the future. Stay tuned for our next episode where we talk about confidentiality at a certification body. Looking forward to talking with you then. Take care. Thank you.